Hi, Robert McGinnis. I'm the driver of the number nine Palto Network Suncoast Racing for Mazda car. And welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. This week, we were reminded that this weekend, and particularly we were reminded of the, this morning, that this week we have now entered the point in the year that for Clevelanders is typically filled with agony, frustration, disappointment, um, unending sadness, something that the rest of the country would probably call football season. I was really wondering where you were going with that because you know how little this household cares about football. I know, but it was kind of thrown in our face this morning. Well, that's just because apparently there is an equal number of insanity that involves going to a parking lot at 1 o'clock in the morning to start tailgating. No, to be clear, they did not go to the parking lot because the parking lot didn't open until 7 a.m., they went to wait at 1 o'clock to get into the parking lot at 7 a.m. for a game that starts at 1 a.m. or okay. 1 p.m. Okay. <laughs> in the rain. There are many things in this world that I do not understand, but I believe I am slightly closer to understanding chaos theory and or string theory before I understand lining up at 1.30 in the morning to get into a public parking lot that doesn't open until 7 o'clock in the morning so that you can grill chicken wings for breakfast. Not something I understand, nor something I would actually participate in. Clearly. I might be judging them. <laughs> um, and if you are a huge football fan, and I apologize if you feel insulted by my comments, but I will tell you this. The difference is that if it was a matter of lining up to get into, oh, I don't know, spa at one o'clock in the morning, I might do that. Silverstone might do that in the wee dark hours of the morning so that I could be there for every second of on-track action. That's Tim Taylor, care of Tool Time. P.O. Box 3273. We all have our insanities. <laughs> I just own mine, and I don't know. I still think chicken wings at 7 o'clock in the morning kind of sounds a little gross. Anyway, moving on. So I'll, I'll admit that I got lazy last night. Well, I got kind of tired. So I did not record a full standing setup for Fantasy GP. That's not the truth. You know that, right? No, it, it actually is the truth because I would have done it anyway. But I kind of ran out of energy. It has nothing to do with the fact that you had a craptastic week last week. Actually, it had absolutely nothing to do with the fact that I had a craptastic week last week and fully had to do with the fact that I just was wiped out yesterday. Okay. I'll give it to you. So, the overall standings. 
Um, Trisha remains in first place. Phil has moved up to second place. I have fallen to third and fallen to third by um, almost 40 points. Ouch! Yeah. Um, Agro remains in fourth. Uh, he's still 19 points behind me, so I got some room there. Um, the boy is uh, in fifth with 1,455 points, um, and Richard's fallen back again. Now, I'm pretty sure I have traced the issue back with my picks, and I have not decided as to how I'm going to respond. You mean I'm that you chose poorly? Well, it, in terms of overall picks for the week, mm-hmm. I think we were about the same. Yes, we have different teams. So that's, that's where I don't think is the issue. It's the teams, and, and I still stand by my decision to have Daniel Ricardo. And to have Red Bull. But when Daniel Ricardo gets knocked out because of a clutch failure, not even an engine issue, but a clutch failure, and I get no points off of that, so I only get partial points for Max, who got stupid, and we'll talk about that later. And then McLaren and Fernando Alonso, who should be picking up points, but instead gets knocked out of the race for more mechanical issues. Yeah. Those shouldn't be bad choices. I question your life choices, honey. <laughs> those should not be bad choices. I, I, those are not my choices. Clearly. I have a different strategy on the whole team makeup for my world. And for right now, it seems to be working. Okay. Well, other events from last week. So we got word... Several hours after the race ended, that Roman Grosjean's car, and oddly enough, only Roman's car, Mm -hmm. was excluded from the race results. Read disqualified. Yes. Due to not in due to not being in conformity with floor regulations. So what the issue was, and this is all due to a. best way to describe it is a reinterpretation of the regulations around the floor back in June Okay, that actually put several of the teams out of compliance with the rules. The teams were given a deadline until Monza to repair the issue. What needed to be changed, and this was article in compliance with Article 3.7.1D of the technical regulations, that said that the front radius of the tea tray of the floor, or excuse me, the front corners of the tea tray of the floor have to have a 50 millimeter radius when viewed from below. Yeah, 50 millimeters when viewed from below. Okay. Well, Haas said that, and apparently had sent a notification to the FIA that they could not meet that date for compliance and they had asked for an extension and they said it was due to mid-season break and a lack of engine because it was a re-engineering of the floor for them for 50 millimeters on either side Um, but it was a re-engineering of the floor and because in the summer break there is limited development work that's allowed to happen they would not be able to hit the deadline right now to add more to this little drama 
The whole thing came to a head because after Monza and Roman's sixth place finish, that pulled Haas into fourth place, tied with Renault. And it was Renault that picked up the phone and said, hey, we don't think Haas's floor is in compliance. So Charlie Whiting and the FIA took a look, took a look and said, yeah, you guys are right, and excluded the car. Exactly. Um, now, I do not believe that Kevin Magnuson got points in the Italian Grand Prix. Um, I could be wrong. I'd have to look it up. But let's let's because... go with the assumption that I might be somewhat right here. Okay. That may be why he is not listed in the DQ list because he did not affect the point structure. I believe what happens and what is the drama and the soap opera-like atmosphere that is Formula One is Renault put a protest in to Roman, Roman Grosjean's sixth-place win. And that caused that car. So even though Kevin Magnuson's car may still also have been out of compliance, he wasn't protested. That may be. And so thus everything is focused on Grosjean and the fact that he had points and that would have moved, that would have changed the um, uh, order for the constructors, which changes dollars, which is important, and all of those bits and pieces. I also believe that I read that Haas needed to purchase one of the parts from another manufacturer. Well, and they do purchase a lot of parts, don't get me wrong. And, and keep in mind, Haas doesn't manufacture its own chassis. It purchases that chassis from Delara. Right. And that, that was part of the problem was there was a shipping issue, too. That's why they notified the FIA. They notified the FIA, and the FIA did not respond so Haas went with the assumption that no response was acceptance. FIA has turned around and said, well, no response is no response. Yeah. So they are appealing it from what I understand. Um, I have not heard if there has been a result of the appeal yet. No, um, there has not been because the appeal went in Thursday night, which is what the deadline that Haas had for it. <coughs> Um, so the next steps in the process is that confirmation of the appeal and the timing of a court hearing, if there is a court hearing, um, that should come sometime next week, and that would happen in Paris. Oh, okay. So, yeah, Haas has submitted the appeal. Now it has to go through the the legal process. To ha and I think it, legal is in within the FIA's rules, not like international rules kind of a thing. Um, but it would be heard by the FIA in Paris. We just do not know when that is going to be yet. So stay tuned. While we're on the subject, though, of the FIA and Max Verstappen. Um, <laughs> Wait a minute. Or, well, the FIA and Charlie Whiting. <laughs> and then we're going to now add Max Verstappen yeah, to that. we're going to add Max Verstappen. So there was the, the late race incident at turn one. Between Valtteri Bottas and Max Verstappen. Right. In which Max ran Valtteri off the track. and Significantly. He mm -hmm. went through. Well, it was, it was the chicane. So it was either go through the, the sleeping policeman curbs or take the chicane. Um, as a result of that incident, Max was handed a five-second penalty, which would have, which put him behind Valtteri in the final standings, even though 
Max continued to fight for position and all of that stuff. Well, Max was really upset over this. Now, what really ticked Max off is, one, Max claimed that he left room for, for Valtteri, which no. he really didn't. But the other issue was the fact of what has termed to be the Verstappen rule. Uh, the Verstappen rule. It was the rule that was highlighted for Max, what was it, last year or the year before, and it was specifically around behavior that he was taking of moving within the braking zone mm -hmm. and multiple movements within the braking zone. And watching the replay of it, Max clearly moved in the braking zone, and that is what drove his penalty. Got it. Whether Max believes it or not. Well, when Max was advised of his penalty, he threw a little hissy fit on the radio that um, the stewards are killing racing. We've heard this before from Max, that they're killing racing and hope they're happy that they're killing racing and uh, then went on a little temper And I'm going to take my toys and go home. Well, pretty close to that. Instead, it was more the I'm going to take my toys and get thrown further back into the standings because I'm going to lose time against Valtteri fighting with him when I don't need to and then allow Sebastian Vettel to get within five seconds of me and lose yet another position for no good reason. And say on the radio, I know I'm doing this and, and I, I don't care. care because he's apparently two. Yeah. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I like the passion. I like the emotion. We want the drivers to react. But this was kind of stupid. And oh, by the way, he was wrong on top of it. Yes. All of those things. Oh, yes. I can't help. And this is, this is the mom in me that comes out. Mm -hmm. I can't help but... You know, Max was supposed to be this phenom, this incredible driver, and he is incredibly good at certain things. But you can't help but feel like he has been told his whole life how awesome he is. And now he's playing with the big boys, and he's gotten to that point where he's truly being challenged where his natural talent and other people's natural talent have just all evened the playing field. And he's being challenged at a level he's never been challenged before at. And turns around, he's not emotionally very mature. He's not, but I think it's something. And, and I think it's it's why he, he continues to pull this maneuver. Or we saw a resurgence in this maneuver. Because we went a while that it didn't happen. Remember what Max's preparation for racing is. It's video games, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Max plays, and, and, and I know it, it's fairly common for a lot of drivers, not just Max, and not just younger drivers. But my suspicion, and, and, and even Max has admitted that some of the moves that he has tried to pull and has, has pulled off, like, you know, passing somebody on the outside of Eau Rouge in the rain, um, that's stuff that he worked on and played with in the video games. I am betting that moving under breaking under the video game that he's playing, under the simulation that he's playing, there's no penalty for doing it. Mm. So he gets into the habit of doing it, 
he because he's not getting penalized under the rules that the video game has in place or the simulation has in place, and there's nobody to call him on it. So they had to break him of that. It went away for a year and a half, and then in the heat of a fairly pitched battle, he falls back on an old bad habit. Well, that's my theory. I think that this got some validity in it. I I also know that the moving under breaking rule is not typical across all of motorsports, and I don't believe it's a rule in karting. And he did come up, and he's yeah. got a huge karting background, which is fine. I mean, great racers have karting backgrounds, but some of his bolder moves are considered karting moves, like his eat the turf move that he does. Yeah. Um. That's a karting move. And oftentimes what I've heard some of the more veteran racers talk about is that's one that they get broken of when they start driving cars. Max didn't have as much time in a car as, you know, his distance from F1. It was one year and that was it. Yeah. He just doesn't have the the experience that kind of developed the new car habits. He's still relying on old karting instinct. Now, in sharp contrast, I will tell you that in the Italian Grand Prix, we heard a lot of veteran racers talk about Lewis's drive being a harken back to his old karting days. Lewis said it himself that he was pulling out old karting moves to do to pull off what he did. That he really dug down deep into his history and pulled it off amazingly. The, the so big I think difference... there's a I think there's a I think the difference is the key is maturity. Well, there, there's that. There's also the really only one of those carding, assuming that this was a carding move, really the only one that resulted in any kind of issues or contact with another driver was the the incident that spun Seb around. Right. Everything else that he did, <clears throat> you know, it may have been more carding lines. It may have been more aggressive entries into stuff. It didn't result in him coming in contact with anybody or forcing anybody off the track or anything like that. It was just the style that he drove at. Right. And and that's also the difference. It He didn't appear to be pulling that stuff in direct car-to-car battles with another driver. True. Um, and everybody that analyzed the Seb spin – says that that was much more on Seb than it was Lewis. It was a racing incident. Except for Seb. Well, yeah, but Seb <laughs> is biased. I mean, I'm sorry, but Seb has clearly said, oh, it was everybody else's fault, when you could look at the replays and go, dude, it was you. Yeah. And he's the only one that doesn't see it being him. He has a giant blind spot for the little red car. So anyway, back to the Max story and... Charlie Whiting, because, you know, these comments were directed at Charlie. Charlie was asked about the comments and what his thoughts were. And Charlie admitted that he, he heard about the comments, but he heard it secondhand, supposedly. I, I thought that Charlie was plugged into this stuff. Maybe, maybe he went to take a comfort break. I, I don't know. Um, but he said he heard the comments secondhand. He said, I don't think you can take too much notice of comments made in the heat of battle. But I'm sure at the next driver's briefing, we'll have a little chat about that. As I said, in the heat of battle, that's absolutely expected. Charlie's got a thick skin. I mean, come on. People cuss Charlie out on the radio a lot. I don't think it's the most polite thing to do. But Charlie's got to have a pretty thick skin. Yeah. Now, Max, however, 
continues to question the incident. Um, he spoke to uh, Ziggo TV, which is a Dutch network. It's real network, Ziggo, but it's Dutch. Uh, he said, I watched it back, of course, and I still don't agree with it. Maybe I could have given him a couple of more millimeters, but he was on the white line. But yeah, we can talk about this for a whole lot longer. It already has been decided. One steward gives a penalty, another doesn't. I don't think it's the rules. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And, you know, in a way, I got to go back to, he also is fairly insistent that he doesn't move under braking when everybody else says, yeah, you do. Yeah. Here it is in the video. Well, maybe he's gone to the Seb um, school of replay watching. That he doesn't? No, he says, I mean, Seb even says, I watched it. I don't think it's the same thing. It's the abject denial that he did anything mm. wrong. Well, speaking of Seb, and specifically Ferrari now, so we've seen this a few times in some of the grid walks, and, and we've heard some of the, the, we, the commentators point out this, um, that Ferrari had this practice for the past year of placing ice packs on top of the camera mounts. Yeah, we always cars. wondered why. Yeah. Well, for starters, Ferrari's been told by the FIA, cut it out. But we've also now found out why Ferrari's been doing it. Oh. Despite what some of the, the reporting has been over the last week when, when Ferrari got the orders, and also what everybody's assumption was, this wasn't Ferrari trying to cool the cameras. As a matter of fact, it had absolutely nothing to do with the temperature of the cameras whatsoever. It was actually done, and if you look at close-ups of the ice packs, it was done to cover up the cameras. Oh. Because Ferrari was trying to make sure that folks couldn't access the cameras to view the settings on the steering wheel. Interesting. Because they, they would put mechanics around the car so that nobody lingered to, and, and nobody could take pictures of it and see what it was doing. But this was so that you couldn't access the camera and see the settings on the screen. Which meant that they couldn't turn, flip through broadcast TV and go, oh, right. what does that look like? Or one of the, the feeds that the FIA may make available to the various teams. So that's why this was done. So Ferrari's come up with a much smarter solution now. They take it close. They take an open umbrella and stick it in the driver's seat so it covers up the steering wheel. Ah. <laughs> I wonder what they're doing on the steering wheel that is so... Well, you can see if the steering wheel is powered up, I guess you can see like some of the brake bias settings and some of the other settings that they have on the car for the race, for the race start in specific. Okay. There's also, you know, lingering questions about Ferrari steering wheels and the layout of the clutch paddles. Yeah, that's always my concern. Because Seb has a separate lever that Kimmy doesn't, and nobody knows what it's for. Right. There needs to be a letter about that. Yes. Somebody needs to write a letter. <clears throat> Mercedes. <laughs> <clears throat> Get right um, on that. 
So now they, what they need to do is they need to push their new very fancy B team force India to write the letter. That way they can have oh, plausible have deniability. Some, some separation between it. Yeah. Yeah. They need plausible deniability. Okay. Um, this week there will be quite a few meetings in advance of the Singapore Grand Prix with the various rules committees. Oh. One of the committees that will be meeting is the, the technical group, and one of the topics for discussion will be DRS and the safety of DRS, and in specific, the root cause of the issues around Sauber's problems with DRS, specifically the one that caused the major, major crash for Marcus Erickson during free practice, and also earlier this year at Silverstone. Mm. Um, the root cause has been determined to be a bit of a flaw with Sauber's DRS mechanism. Uh-oh. So the way it's supposed to work is that there are stops on the wing to, you know, stop the wing from moving beyond a certain position. Once it's fully open, it stops the wing. Apparently, the stops were not big enough, and the wing was able to travel beyond the stop. And then the stop engaged to prevent it from closing? Correct. Basically, it was jamming on the stop and not closing as it was supposed to. So that's why both in Silverstone and particularly in Monza, when Marcus stopped on the brakes to slow the car down, the flap didn't close because it had jammed on the stop. Now, they have apparently changed the size of the tab and believe that the issue has been resolved. Wow. Yeah. That was a scary, scary crash. Well... You know, it's one of the few times you see a car roll in multiple different directions, among other things. True. And it was the barrel rolls. I mean, mm -hmm. flying barrel rolls. So we've been hoping to see a new manufacturer come in 2021. Jean Todd has said, not happening. Yeah. Um, he said that there has been some demonstration of interest from one who said to us, we are not in a situation to commit for 2021, but it is very important for us to know exactly what will be the regulations because there could be a strong interest in the future, which I take that to mean is nothing is changing anytime soon. Yeah. Jean Todd has also struck out over Ross Braun's comments a few weeks ago regarding Formula One going all electric. Really? Jean Todd says it ain't happening. <laughs> Two very different series. They don't work that way. F Formula One will not go fully electric anytime in a foreseeable future. It makes no sense. It's not happening. And you know what happens when James Bond said that? Well, it w no, not James Bond, Sean well, Connery. Well, Sean Connery, but he was James Bond. Well, it was in relation to him playing James Bond. That he said he would never do it. And then what was the title of the next movie? Okay, there was a different story. There, there's a whole story behind that. <gasps> okay. Yes, he came back and reprised the role, but it was also the result of a lawsuit, and that was a movie that was done by MGM as opposed by who actually owned the rights to 
continue producing James Bond movies, and then they found a way to contractually obligate Sean Connery into reprising the role that he did not want to do. And there were all lawsuits and all. It was ugly. I go back to, what was the name of that movie again? Never Say Never Again. There you go. <laughs> Fair enough. So last week we heard Stoffel Van Dorn break away from the party line at McLaren and express frustration over the situations at McLaren. I think the waffle has gotten too much syrup on him and he is now sticky. He is stoffable. He's stoffable. Um, no longer the unstoffable waffle. <laughs> he has been further stopped as we got word this week that he's now out of a job. Yes. Now he's finishing the season. However, his seat has been given to Lando Norris for 2019. Yes. Not fully surprising. No. Um, we do know that Esteban Ocon was in contention for the seat. However, Zach Brown has admitted that the reason why they elected not to pick Esteban for the seat was specifically because of his ties with Mercedes. Now, we've gotten a little more information from Zach as to what the deal is and why not only will Mercedes or, or not only will McLaren not look at Esteban, but Red Bull through the Toro Rosso program will not look at Esteban. And specifically, it's because whatever the deal is that has Mercedes supporting Esteban, there's a clause in it that says whatever team he goes to, Mercedes has the right to call him back. Ouch. Yeah. Right. And if Esteban was fully independent from Mercedes, even though he's come up through the Mercedes world, Red Bull has said they would have had interest. Renault has now said they would have interest. McLaren has said they certainly would have been interested because, as uh, Zach Brown says, they rate him extremely highly, but they're looking at some somebody for a longer term and having that uncertainty of the ties to a manufacturer and that potential callback to a manufacturer is a turnoff to them well i mean the very thought that at any point toto wolf could pick up the phone and go he's doing great he's mine now that's gotta be that's gonna limit his options i i think that's some of it but i think it's mercy and and he currently is a reserve driver for Mercedes. If he's if Mercedes still wants to keep him around as a reserve driver, yeah, all these teams are going to be bothered by that. Williams might be the only one who would be willing to tolerate it. Yeah, and the biggest thing would be, I mean, the where he belongs right now mm -hmm. is truly in the new Force India. But I get the whole drama with that. Yeah, I mean that's the right combination of car manufacturer, uh, engine manufacturer, and pos track position for him right now. Um, all I could hope is that by putting him in a Williams, if he does go down to Williams, that he could outdrive the car enough to help Williams go forward. And you think about this, he is an F two champion, mm -hmm. and. Who, who is driven extremely strong, and once again, he's in a position for the second time in his career where despite being successful and despite showing admittedly up and down the grid that he's got a lot of promise, he could be out of a seat. 
And that's really, I mean, that's the part that is so hard to stomach as a fan. You want, in theory, we all want the best drivers to be in the best cars. Mm -hmm. And if you've earned that spot, we want people to be there. But understanding the math of the situation, he doesn't come with daddy strolls money. He doesn't come. I mean, his parents lived in a caravan for three years. Actually, not just his parents. His whole family. Family lived in well, a caravan. Well, it was him, his parents, and a dog. I thought it was his sister, too. No. I don't know if he has a sister, but this was him, his parents, and a dog. His dog. His dog. It was very quick to point out that it was his dog. I really hope it's not like a little purse dog. <laughs> I mean, his French, after all. I, I don't know. I, I want to I think that he's got like a big, hefty dog. Somebody that could hang with Coco and uh, what's-his-face. Okay, moving on. Okay. Well, actually, not even so much moving on while we're still on that <laughs> topic. Because, you know, Don't talk about running, his dog anymore. You're running off on the tangents here. So, Have you met me? That's the my goal. overall Mercedes Junior program now. We've had Pascal Verline come up, mm-hmm. shown a ton of promise, and end up going nowhere, essentially. We've now had Esteban Ocon come up, show a ton of promise, and looking to go nowhere. Do you think that that clause is in every one of their contracts? Maybe that that's something they need to rethink? It may be. I don't know. See, but that's the thing is I don't recall Pascal Verline continuing to be a reserve driver for Mercedes. Well, I don't think— I mean, he's still got ties to the team. But I don't think he had quite the success either that Ocon had. Yeah. I mean, Pascal Verlaine, yes, he had great promise, but I don't think he converted that the way Ocon did. Ocon's a sad story right now but, until but he you gets a seat. Al- you also have to remember that Pascal and Esteban were paired together for half the season mm-hmm. after um, what's-his-face from Malaysia – lost his seat. Rio. Rio Harianto lost his seat. And Esteban came in for half the season and soundly Trumped crushed Verlein. Pascal. So you can't really put them on the same plane. I will but, tell you. But I it's still another development driver to come up through the Mercedes system that it, it fell off long before they really showed their promise. But how many – Development drivers come through the Red Bull system and fall apart. Uh, Daniel Kvyat in being one of but them. They're, but they're let go. You a, think a Mercedes times, is holding on to them too long? I'm not sure that, that Mercedes is holding on to them. I think Mercedes has had more issues with placing promising drivers than Red Bull Toro Rosso because Toro Rosso – up until very recently, you know, the last couple of years, were cutting these drivers loose because they were realizing when they got to Toro Rosso that they were not as – they didn't necessarily deserve moving up. Carlos Sainz is a big exception to that because they saw that there was promise there and found a new place for him. And and that's, I think, the big difference. Daniel Kvyat was brought up and not producing. Okay. So, yeah. Fair enough. Okay, moving on, our next story is, honestly, I think it's been 
misreported, and some of the reason it's been misreported is um, the overall confusion and hype and anticipation around the Miami Grand Prix and just the mess that is Miami in general. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, first off, you get for those who are not familiar with the ridiculousness that is Miami, you have the city of Miami, mm-hmm. which resides within the county of Miami-Dade. Right. Formerly known as Dade County, but now it's, as of about 20 years ago, it's, it's Miami-Dade County. Well, as according to the Miami Herald last Saturday, there was a delegation of county administrators. Important to note that this is county administrators, which included the police chief and the fire chief were supposed to travel to Singapore next weekend to get firsthand experience in how an F1 standard street race is operated. Okay. And that was a trip that was estimated to cost around $18,000. Now, um, the son of the county mayor, CJ, um, he's been lobbying in favor of the race. And as a result, county mayor Carlos Jimenez... Um, he recused himself from discussions on the matter up until last weekend. Okay. Which he sat up and said, um, no, you guys aren't going to Singapore. Oh. That's just kind of foolish. Find somewhere that's a bit closer. Okay, but Singapore's a street race. Closer would be Austin, but that's a track race. Yeah, the, the, well, the limitations that, that they have in terms of street races you've got melbourne you've got monaco you've got montreal you've got singapore so they need to wait till next year to go to montreal that would be more cost effective that's that's probably what i can see where the county mayor would have some heartburn oh yeah over this trip um yeah, there's some differences in terms of how a race is run on a street track as opposed to a dedicated road course. But I think for the cost of sending all of these folks halfway around the globe, he could send them to Austin and he could send them to Montreal and get both experiences. Yeah. Now, just to, to further muddy the issue... There is still a delegation from the city of Miami attending the Singapore race. Oh. (laughs) Fun. Yeah. And that would include the folks who hope to promote and administer the race on behalf of the city. And the city of Miami police chief, he's still going. Wow. That's important. (laughs) Quite the boondoggle. You know that, right? I know. Um, now, there are still plans for uh, the F1 live event to happen in Miami from October 17th to the 21st of this year. Okay. So that is still going forward, although some of the locals have been expressing objections to that as well. <laughs> so what we understand is that event will include, um, among other things, basically a dog bone shaped track that will be run along Biscayne Boulevard. Okay. Um, which will feature cars doing donuts at one end or the other. Oh. Which, of course, is 
cause people to express concern that they're marking up the pavement. Well, you don't want anybody <clears throat> to mark up the pavement. I mean, that would be wrong. As if Biscayne Boulevard is not often used for street races in the middle of the night on many nights in South Florida. Any day that ends in Y. Yeah. So remember Santino Ferrucci? Your second favorite driver to beat up upon these days? Well, he's he deserves it. Doesn't matter deserving or not. <clears throat> I think we are now up to four podcasts in a row where we have discussed the antics of the, of Ferrucci. Well, he uh, apparently he has heard that we've been criticizing him. <gasps> Did he come out with a letter? He hasn't sent a letter. Instead, he chose to issue a statement and comment to another website. How dare he? Was he comments here? So what Santino, Santino first he wanted to explain what happened and why he was so upset over the behavior of his teammate. He said, he threw a pass right up the inside, drove into my car and bent my front suspension, which put me off the track. When we finished the race, I was very, very furious and very emotional. It was just a very <coughs> dirty move towards me. After the checkered flag, I got behind him initially to show him I was pissed. I wanted to put a hand gesture. I had just thought, all right, go around. And when I went to go, I clipped him. So he said that was accidental. He didn't mean to do that. but And he doesn't deny that he clipped his teammate, but he downplayed the severity. He said, my whole karting career, I took nothing from nobody. I was one of those people, if you tap me, I put you in a fence. I just refused to have a gasp of air for anybody. I was super aggressive, super mindset of focused. This is my world. In cars, you can't have that mindset. You can't go around just hitting people. You're going upwards of 200 miles an hour in some places. Parts fall off and people could get seriously injured. You should display that aggressiveness indifference was by closing doors, blocking in different techniques, not necessarily driving over people. I've had my fair share of moments in go-karts and I've been driven over and I've driven over people. Trust me. If I wanted to hit him, I would have done it the correct way and rode off the cars. <laughs> uh, yeah. If I wanted to hit him, he would have really known it. <laughs> so, you know, he, he went on to talk about the stewards hearing after the race, which he didn't show up for. Oh. That, which part of the reason why he got the ban. Now, he says that the whole reason for, for the ban was his team. Mm. He blames his team. Now, his explanation for missing the hearing was that he had to urgently leave to visit his uncle who had been diagnosed with pancreatic ca cancer. So he rushed off from the track to go visit his uncle. Okay. Um, he blames the team for not passing that information on to the stewards. He said, I had emailed the stewards prior saying I had a serious family emergency to get home for. The email was never received through my team. They never sent it because they don't have the steward's email personally. I'm not sure I believe that. Okay. He said I, he apologized on Monday and Tuesday to all of the stewards to go out of his way to find and email them. They emailed me him back saying they were unmoved and did not care for my other responsibilities, which is pretty harsh. That's why I missed the meeting, which I wish I never did, but you live and learn. Yeah. Interesting. So Dale Coyne Racing, the IndyCar team who has hired him to finish out the season, 
they've also come forward and and they're defending Santino. Of course. Yes. Um, what Dale Coyne himself had to say is that we weren't there to witness all the things that went on in other formulas, so we can't judge fairly. We've read the same things you've probably read on the internet, but anything can be said on the internet, as we keep seeing on all so sorts of topics these days. All I can say is that Santino hasn't been that way around us at all. Not Detroit, not here, and not in the other races in between where he's visited and interacted with us. Look at Haas. They didn't throw him into the weeds, and nor will he. Nor will we? Nor will we. Okay. All right. Stand behind your man. And then he might have also uttered something about fake news and making racing great. But I can't confirm that. Uh, <laughs> rumors. Rumors and lies. Um, yes. No, all I hear is uh, What's-Her-Face's song, Stand By Your Man. Ah. Um, now... Dale Coyne was also asked if Santino was in consideration for a 2019 drive with the team, um, particularly should Pietro Fittipaldi move elsewhere. And Dale Coyne says, yeah, I think so. He's doing a nice job, but we're still looking at all of our options for next year. We have options. Yeah. We're reviewing. He's a really nice guy. Yeah. So we've also got an update um, – from Schmidt Peterson Motorsports on Robert Wicken's condition. How is he doing? Um, well, for starters, he was moved this past week from uh, the Poconos to the IU Health Met Methodist Hospital in Indianapolis. Um, he underwent surgeries this past week uh, to repair fractures to both his legs and hands from injuries sustained in the crash. Ouch. Um, they released a much more detailed update on Robert's condition and the injuries that were sustained. Um, they did this specifically, and I am quoting the statement from Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports here. This was done because an, as unverified sources immediately following Robert's accident, accident inaccurately and without permission betrayed portrayed his condition as less than severe. In an effort to remain transparent and open, we are providing a list of Robert's injuries to truly showcase the severity of what our son, brother, fiancé, friend, teammate has gone through and will be recovering from in the months to come. Among the injuries Wiccan sustained were thoracic spinal fracture, spinal cord injury, neck fracture, tibia and fibia fractures to both legs, fractures in both hands, fractured right forearm, fractured elbow, four fractured ribs, and a pulmonary contusion. Wow. Yeah, basically every extremity that Robert had sustained an injury in this accident. Mm. Now, supposedly... That statement is due to, and I have to pull it up, uh, comments that were made by Paul Tracy over at NBC Sports who said that Robert is okay after the wreck, and I'm waiting for the Instagram post to come up. Here we go. Robert is okay after this terrible wreck, two broken ankles, arm, possible fractured vertebrae, car held up amazingly well, and he is awake and expected in surgery tomorrow morning. 
<laughs> in theory, this is what drove Schmidt Peterson Motorsports to Outline put out all their of his... bigger. Yeah. Wow. Now, I understand the desire for some privacy here. I mm-hmm. really do, and and I agree with it, and. and I, I think that there is a need for that to some extent. However, I also have to commend the Wickens family and Schmidt Peterson Motorsport for providing the level of information that they have because I think they're still providing Robert some needed privacy, but they're also answering the need for fans in general to know what truly Robert's condition is. Right. And have some understanding of what he's going through and what the family is going through. And this is where I've got to fault the Schumacher family. Well, I was just thinking about the sharp contrast of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we at least know that he's got severe injuries, what they are. Mm-hmm. We know where he is in the, the status. The Schumacher family will not speak of, of Michael's yeah. condition, period. And, you know, it would be one thing if the Schumacher family just came out and said, you know, we're keeping his privacy. He's not going to be making any kind of appearances or anything like that. He continues to recover. Mm -hmm. He's conscious. He's unconscious. That's it. I think even that would be enough for folks to have some level of understanding of what's – as opposed to – we're just not talking about it. Michael wouldn't want us to talk, which I don't think is completely accurate. Well, they they taught they the theory behind the Schumacher's tight lipness is that Michael in life in life because quite frankly he is so off the grid right now you have to think about it. Mm-hmm. But at the height of his racing career, his private life was incredibly off limits. Yeah, almost Seb level of off limitsness, and and that may be where Seb has gotten it from. And, yeah, he followed his hero. But so their theory would be that um, Michael would not have wanted anyone to have known what his condition was. And without his express permission, they don't want to expose that. My issue is you're giving the fans nothing. Yeah. You, I mean, you how many. You can still how... respect the privacy. You can still do 99% of that stuff and provide at least a little bit of information that indicates, you know, is he on life support or not? Right. I mean, he was on in a coma for a very long time. And we haven't, I don't even think we've gotten a confirmation that he's come out of that coma. Well, and that's my thing is, you know, just a, even a yearly statement that says Michael's health is unchanged, um, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Just, is he alive or dead? Yeah. I mean, because it's gotten to that point of, I wonder if there'd even be a statement if when he died. Yeah. So, yeah, that's 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 rough. But then again, is Seb married or not? It's not completely clear. We know he's got two kids now. Has he confirmed two? I know that we had one with one unconfirmed. I believe he's confirmed the second one. Okay. I think so. Just there is no woman that produced these children. <laughs> they were obviously hatched in, <laughs> in Germany somewhere. Okay. Um, so Fernando Alonso. And not he, hatched in Germany. N- no. 
Uh, and, and you may be wondering how we ended up going from IndyCar to Fernando Alonso. Well, Fernando, this past week, um, as expected, completed a test in a current spec IndyCar. Mm -hmm. um, but he didn't do it at Portland like we thought. He actually did it over at uh, Barber, Barber okay. Motorsports Park. Uh, the car that he was in was actually, um, it was a car that was run, and, and I lost where it was. Um, it was a car that was run and has not been run since the Indy 500. Uh, the article I had up and saved for this didn't have the details on who he did it with. Um, Andretti provided support for this, including uh, a pit crew okay. for it. Um, however, the car carried no Andretti markings on it whatsoever. Um, it was, like I mentioned, originally built for... Indianapolis 500 was run at Indy. Uh, it was, however, outfitted specifically for road course running. Um, Delara, the chassis builder, did not provide any support for this and did not have any representatives on hand. Now, that's key. And it's key because if McLaren is going to enter as a constructor, they need to get chassis. And the only place you get chassis for running an IndyCar is from Delara. Mm -hmm. Delara says they have not been approached by McLaren at all. Interesting. In order to, for McLaren to enter. So at this point, the belief is that um, McLaren will probably be coming, but if they do, it's going to be an affiliation deal. Um, again, Andretti appears to be leading candidate for that, but where the question is... Um, Andretti is a Honda team. And whether or not the HPD team has the same level of bad blood and baggage that Honda Racing Development out in Japan has with McLaren and whether or not McLaren would be willing to do another tie-up with Honda. And we don't know as of right now. Yeah. Now, that's a big question, Mark, as to how many bridges did McLaren burn? Well, not just McLaren, but Honda as well, and whether or not they want any affiliation with them whatsoever. And we don't know yet. All right. Um, the last bit of news was last week the 2019 IndyCar calendar was released. Yes. Um, starts as usual and as expected at uh, on March 10th in St. Petersburg, on the stri streets of St. Petersburg. However, race number two is very notable. What? Race number two occurring on March 24th will be in Austin, Texas at Circuit of the Americas. Oh, wow. IndyCar will be coming to Circuit of the Americas for the first time ever. Cool. Um, the other notable shift that we saw, um, July 28th, as expected, uh, will be IndyCar's return to mid-Ohio, which obviously is important to us. However... Preceding that race, what we have seen in the past has been that the teams are coming from Toronto. That will not be the case. The week before July 20th, the teams will actually be, be in Iowa for an oval race for the Iowa Corn. Oh. Now, that race, I believe, had been coming after uh, Mid-Ohio. Yeah, the drivers that we spoke to the last time we were at Mid-Ohio said that race was particularly boring. Iowa? Mm -hmm. mm. Um, the last bit of note is that 
um, the last several years, for actually I think probably close to ten years, IndyCar has been ending their season at Sonoma. Correct. Actually, I believe it's Infineon Racetrack, but it's in Sonoma. Or if you're really old school, at Sears Point. <laughs> True. Really old school. They will not be going to Sonoma next year. Not at all. Not at all. The season finale will be held on September 22nd at Laguna Seca in Monterey. Ooh. Yes. That's a fun track. And I believe it's the first time that open wheel racing at this level has been to Laguna Seca since the Champ Cars. Wow. That's cool. You know, there's a lot of calendar shifts this year between Formula One and IndyCar. Um, a lot of People calendar shifts are between Formula One and IndyCar, and also apparently there is some hate and discontent going on in Japan over the Formula One calendar for 2019 because currently the Japanese Grand Prix for 2019 at Suzuka is the exact same weekend as the WEC's Six Hours of Suzuka. Or, or uh, Six Hours of Fuji, rather. Oh, well, that was poor planning. Yeah. Who's going to blink first? Um, WEC says that they are investigating the situation. Um, in particular, they do not want another schedule conflict with Formula One being in the country the same time they're in the country. I don't blame them. Um, although, you know, there won't be a, a Fernando Alonso schedule cr- clash. Well, that's true. And on that note... We'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.